I V M. Technology will replace a lot of jobs, regular jobs, not only in the production industry, but even office workers are in jeopardy and might be replaced uh, by robots, artificial intelligence, big data, or automation. So the key question is not if technology replaces some of these jobs, but when, how fast, and to what extent. Every day we are keeping our promises. We've created 3.4 million jobs since Election Day, which nobody can even believe. Can and should Europe be doing more to help its young find work? Only this week, the UN said global youth unemployment is likely to rise because of the euro crisis. When I think about jobs crisis, I think of the 830 million people in sub-Saharan Africa that will join the workforce between now and 2050. In a situation where there's already very large numbers unemployed in this region, there is going to be a huge need for new jobs um, for this massive expanding workforce. Hi, you're listening to States of Anarchy, a podcast on global affairs and foreign policy. I'm your host, Hamsini Hariharan. What you just heard are excerpts from the news about the job crisis, not only in India, but across the world. Now, this is not new. We've been hearing about the jobs crisis for a while now. Elections over the last couple of years, whether in Europe or Asia or Africa, have all promised to create more jobs for citizens. Recently, the National Sample Survey Organization released the official version of the Periodic Labor Force Survey in May this year, even though the report was leaked to the press before the elections. The report was controversial for a number of political reasons that we won't get into. But the most damning part of it is this. Unemployment stands at 6.1%, the highest it's been in 45 years in India. The worst affected are women. Women are already dropping out of the labor force and with unemployment rising, they make up the front lines. Now, the jobs crisis depends on education. It depends on the country's economy, on the global economy, on political factors and so on and so forth. But are India's problems unique? Are there general trends about labor and unemployment across the world? That's what we are going to explore with my guest for today, Devika Kher. Devika is a policy analyst who works on livelihood challenges, urban governance, and public finance. This episode is very special for a number of reasons. Not only were Devika and I colleagues at the Takshashila Institution, we were also flatmates discussing policy and economics and feminism at the dining table and house parties, to the dismay of our friends, I'm sure. Today, Devika and I are going to talk about unemployment trends across the world and how it affects politics and society. But before we get into the conversation, let's take a short break. Hello and welcome to a brand new and exciting week on IVM. We'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors, Storytel and Paytm Money. On the scene and the unseen, Amit Verma's guest is quizmaster and sports expert Joy Bhattacharya. Joy talks about his journey as a team director for the Kolkata Knight Riders, his role in the Under-17 FIFA World Cup and the evolution of televised sports in India. On Advertising is Dead, Varun talks to founder and editor of Dead Ant, Ravina Rawal. They talk about Dead Ant as a platform to discuss news and events around comedy. On Ganatantra, Alok and Sarayu are joined by Dr. Carol Sperry to talk about the role of women in electoral politics. On Simplified, Chuck and Nareen are joined by Director Insights of Brandscape Worldwide, Utsav Memoria, for part two of How to Travel on a Desi Budget. 
On Geek Fruit, Dinkar and Jishnu talk about the highly distinctive director, screenwriter and producer Edgar Wright. On IVM Likes, IVM staffers Abbas, that's me, Darius and Madhuri are discussing the highest IMDb rated series Chernobyl and also delve into the phenomena of grief watching. On the Habit Coach podcast, Ashton talks about the beliefs of bad and good habits and how a habit that is bad for someone can be good for someone else. On our Kannada podcast Thale Harate, Sri Ranjini speaks to Ganesh Chakravarti and Takshashila Institutions Soumya Nandan and her endeavor to revive the interest of ancient board games in India. On Equity Sahi Hai, Srinath Mithanthaya, Senior VP at Motilal Oswal AMC, talks to Anupam about value migration and how it's different from value creation. And with that, let's continue on with your show. Welcome back to States of Anarchy. I'm Hamsini Hariharan and I'm talking to Devika Kher about the job crisis that's looming over the world. Hi Devika, welcome to States of Anarchy. Hi Hamsini. Okay, so when we think about jobs across the world, right? Jobs have become sort of the new plank for a lot of political parties uh, to hinge upon. So whether it's in America or in Europe, um populist regimes particularly have been citing jobs or the lack of jobs or as a major issue, right? There's the idea that immigrants are stealing our jobs or that our jobs are being outsourced to third world countries and so on. So is this a global trend? I mean, what's the deal with India? But where does all of this start from? So the general idea is that even though we are all looking at jobs being an essential issue of a lot of conversations we hear, the idea is that even if unemployment level has reduced by some 0.2% in last few years the real the essential issue falls in poor quality and employment which is basically that even though we are creating jobs we are not creating jobs which are um sustainable which economically or socially do not provide a social protection and they fail on grounds like the rights at work or how the job would provide you future safety so in a lot of those senses the job is not sustainable that is being created one of the side effects of this is that even if people are not unemployed they are underemployed okay. which basically means that if you're a phd and you're selling bananas on the street you are underemployed you should have been writing research papers okay so what you're saying is that overall the world is 0.2% more employed than it was a couple of years ago right but the quality of jobs is not good is that what you're saying yes in a sense uh, exactly um if you want to see a lot of our conversations in the last few year were the pakoda jobs being mm-hmm. the conversation i i think um, this was in 2017 or 2018 mm-hmm. uh, that our prime minister had said that uh, if you see a pakoda seller is is that's a job that the person does but uh, you can clearly see there's no social security net around that job that has been created so it will be wrong to say that that the informal sector job is not creating income or employment mm. but it's not creating the sort of jobs you want for your community or your people okay so what sort of jobs do we want we want a job that sort of gives us stability we want ourselves a job that gives us what social protection is what you mm, yeah. said what does that mean so ilo international labor organization defines decent work Now decent work is the term the sort of job that you are looking for for the future generations not and the ones that your parents want you to get that is decent work uh, they but they just want a very stereotypical we will get into the occupational segregation for women separately uh, but no so idea of this job is that um, there is employment creation which most of all you will see in almost every aspect of it but it also requires social protection rights at work and social dialogue 
which all the two, three, four do not exist in most of the jobs. Okay. That so you can sell pakoras, but you won't get social dialogue. Yeah, but in the sense that uh, if you can sell pakoras, but uh, if tomorrow some police guy comes and takes away your lorry, you do not have any rights against being standing up uh, or defending your right to sell that pakoda, right? Because there is no infrastructure to your job. There is no way you can defend or you can afford a lawyer from the income you create. Even if you have a lot of money, I think there was a case where there was someone who was making a lot of money selling pakoras for ages, right? There is no formalization of the sector. And formalization is not just creating trade unions, right? Formalization is having contracts, having legal contracts and ability to bargain on those terms where both the parties get equal say into the matter, right? So um, in a pakora sense, if you look at them as entrepreneurs, where you go wrong is the fact that they are doing it out of desperation, sometimes not out of choice. Hmm. Um, you can, a lot of uh, self-employment in India can be defined by the fact that they do not get a job and had to start something on their own. Sure, like if you look at recent reports, right, there's uh, the idea that there are these many public sector jobs, like in the railways or, you know, in some uh, particular ministry and you have like, one lakh people, most of whom are graduates, a lot of them have PhDs and they're applying for what, like 30,000, 20,000 jobs totally. And all of which are much below their sort of qualifications, right? So look at what it impact it creates, right? You have a PhD applying for a railway clerk's job, right? Which is originally a job that a 12th pass or a bachelor's student could have done, but a PhD has applied for it. Now, the PhD is underutilized because that person could have been writing a paper, but that person is now employed as a clerk. The clerk took away the BA graduate's job. Hmm. Uh, the BA graduate job is now looking at a, a lower job or is unemployed. Hmm. Uh, in such cases, what happens is that that person, everyone takes a pay cut. Hmm. Everyone goes to a lower rank of job. So first impact of underemployment is the cost it has on the society. Now we are underutilizing our human resource. Second impact it has is there are people who are there, therefore leaving the job sector. That means that there was some lower rank job which could have been taken by someone with lesser skill set okay. is now being taken by someone with a higher skill set. So the lesser skill set person leaves the labor force completely. Mostly okay, okay. those that labor set is women. Okay, sorry, break that down for me. So you're okay. saying if there are two jobs yeah. and there's a hierarchy between the two jobs. Yeah, No. so skill sets, uh, the hierarchy would be based on the skill set required, right? So if there is a PhD person's job, let's say a lecturer at a college, uh, then there is a job of a railway clerk and then there is a job as uh, managing uh, an uh, office. Ma managing offices or uh, running agricultural setup. At, like at an administrative task-based yeah. job. So there are three levels of job. Uh, there are not enough teaching jobs. Hmm. So the PhD person is now applying for the railway clerk job hmm. that was in the middle rank. So the person who did a BA graduate is now not able to get that job. So that person now goes to uh, goes back to that in the lowest skill job that was required. Like an administrative task based yeah. job. And so then, what does the last person do? Then the last person then therefore leaves the labor force. And that's the shrinking labor force in India, right? And the, the largest impact can be seen in women. So if you see the CMI data and the huge decline in labor, female labor force participation rate is primarily explained by the fact that 
women do not even get jobs that would pay them as much as they want because there aren't enough jobs and the priority is given to men. So that makes sense. So hmm. in international relations, there's this essential feminist reading by Cynthia Onlo called hmm. Bananas, Beaches and Bases, hmm. where she's basically talking about how um, when it comes to jobs, right, um, the worst kind of jobs sort of go to women and minorities, hmm. uh, even whether it's about physical strength or whether it, whatever type of job it is, the worst types of jobs always go to sort of women and minorities. And that's sort of similar to what you're seeing, right? The lowest rung is often occupied by women and minorities. And this is global, right? Like only 48% of women are in labor force compared to 75% of men. So So in the entire world, only 48% of women are currently working. Yeah. And so the women also make up for the potentially underutilized labor force. We do not use as many women in our labor force as we do with men. Because if there is a job and if a man can do it, mostly a man will get it. Yeah, because that that then throws back to sort of like our patriarchal mindsets, traditional values, the beliefs that yeah. women should do work at home. Exactly. A lot of those factors, right? Again, household economy as an economy in itself. Then who runs that household economy? If I'm paying 5k to my maid and my wife is going to earn 5k, I won't, she won't leave the house and she might as well do the maid's work. Uh, that just bringing it down to like very simple. I, it's not as simple. There are a lot of sociological factors that drive this. There, It's a very complex nature. But if you're looking at it right pragmatically and rightly for the job scene, mm-hmm. then it's basically that. It's you doing the math between uh, hiring a woman and not hiring. And uh, this is across the world. Maid. This is not particular to India. So in, in the world, yeah, exactly. The numbers I gave for the 48% women and 75% men is across the globe. Mm. So globally, we have lesser women working. But again, the um, labor force participation rate, female labor force participation rate per se, uh, varies across the globe. Mm. Uh, some areas, as culturally, women have worked a lot. There are more women working than mm. uh, in other regions. So that plays out, right? Um, and certain regions, there are other factors like um, the education level within the country and lower income countries would have a comparatively higher labor force participation rate because again, the uh, Claudia Golden did a paper on the U-curve, which is... Okay, what is the U-curve? Just for those of us who don't know. So the idea is that as the household income increases, um, female labor force uh, participation goes through um, a U-curve. Hmm. So it's higher at lower incomes. Hmm. Then it takes a dip hmm. as the household income increases. And okay. when the household income in- goes beyond a certain level, it again rises. Okay. Reasons primarily... So what, what does this mean? Actually? So yeah, that's what... The so reasons primarily are that at the lower income, hmm. everyone uh, has to earn for the household to sustain because there isn't enough income. So no one minds women working. Hmm. Uh, these are the points where you would see your maids working out at home and then a lot of lower rung informal jobs that women do is this this part of the uh, section where there's lower income and therefore every one of the house works. Hmm. You as, have no choice but to yes, work, right? As the household income increases, I think there are two points to it. Now that I've read more about it, I've realized that as the household income increases, even if you remove the patriarchal setup of it, women realize that they have to run the household and work. So they they would do that in the lower income section of the crowd. Hmm. But as income increases, out of the two things, they know one thing that they can give up is the job. They cannot Hmm. give up the household management part of Hmm. it. So even if you remove the entire force nature, women choose working at home and leaving the workforce. Because it's a double burden and you can only relinquish one, right? 
Yeah. So instead of taking on the double burden, women give up one and uh, sustain the other one. So they then they decline out of the labor force. So the women participating in the workforce would reduce. After a point, the idea is that the household can sustain without, um, in a way that the women do not have to spend their time running the household economy and therefore they can step out hmm. because they have enough money and then now they employ people from their lower income group to run yeah. hmm. to take some of the tasks. Um, so the richer the households grow, the more yes. they create employment. Exactly. So no, um, not completely. Like, um, so basically middle income countries would see a decline in labor force participation for women. Okay. But as the higher income income increases, their hmm. participation rate should improve okay. is what this theory says. Hmm. So the idea now being that if that is the phase we are going through, then or, this is something which is common across all lower income countries, right? Where um, you, because um, there all households require more money to sustain their household, all members of the family work. Uh, so even if you have higher employment rates, it is at the cost of productivity that you don't hire machinery, but you hire human labor. Okay, so in low-income countries, for example, if just as a very crude example, whether it's a mining or a factory, you it's very labor-intensive rather than using machines, hmm. right? Yes, exactly. But that is at the cost of productivity because a machine would have been more efficient at producing what the person was. Um, then comes high-income places which are completely driven by productivity and not so much by the employment generation, which is where I think the entire stress about jobless growth comes in. Again, we start talking about how uh, there is, um, we are seeing economic growth, but there are no jobs in the economy. So like places like India, for example, where the service hmm. sector is huge and I, I don't know about current growth rates and I'm not going to comment about it, but at least, you know, for 10 years when we did have sort of high growth rates, um, there weren't as many jobs that were being created. Is that what you were saying? Yes. So idea, uh, yes, exactly. What happens is that um, a jobless growth is basically in, in simple words that machines are doing what the humans were doing earlier. Mm. So now you don't need to hire. Like if uh, humans were, let's say, wrapping up toffees was a job. And if a machine can do it, of course, a machine can do it faster and with more efficiency. Yeah. And there'll be less imperfections. Sure. No so now the, all of those uh, lower rung jobs, which were basically just to... Uh, create the wrapper around the toffee are gone. Hmm. Uh, but the productivity, the amount of toffees in the market has increased. Hmm. So the task in itself became more efficient, but lesser jobs in the say. So that's just basically what jobless growth are. Okay. Uh, the idea is to figure out how to use those that resources in a different manner, how to employ human labor and get them to do things which are different, right? Reskilling plays a very important part in such things. Changing education, um, especially education taught at school level, which has very little to do with skill set required beyond. Hmm. So a lot of those changes is what you need when it comes to this point where we need to reorient where we want our human resource to be spent. Okay. So I also remember reading that, you know, places like the US release like job data quarterly. They tell you how many jobs that are being created quarterly, hmm. but that doesn't happen in India. Uh, it used to happen. It has only stopped after... 2017. Um, so the 2018 jobs data is what the major controversy was over which some few people even quit the job. Uh, so what we, job? Uh, the <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we have an annual labor uh, survey which is conducted 
annually and uh, it has been happening since I think 94 I'm not exactly I'm not sure, sure about the date uh, but we have had enough time series data for us to have been studying it for a few years and I think the last data came out in 2016 and after that in 2017 there was a version of it uh, but that was the last of it okay. we saw so NSSO data again wasn't uh, that was an entire conversation last year where people were like NSSO data uh, was due to be conducted last year hmm. did not happen so Data crunch is a real issue um, that India was facing even before uh, 2016. But post-2016, the fact that the data not being released is much worse a scenario. Hmm. Because now, even if the government is not doing as well or is doing it, is doing its best, the problem is that it removes the data from the time series. So even five years later, if they start releasing the data, hmm. uh, policy analysts sitting in like 2022 would be like, there is no way I can make sense of a data which was last dated in 2017. So it starts affecting on what can you do about the problem, right? If you don't know what the magnitude of the problem is. Mm. So I think that's the bigger bigger issue of the entire data. It's not as much as, oh, they are hiding it. Okay. But mostly it's the fact that why are they taking it away from your ability to conduct research? Even if it's a bad number, right? 2009 was the worst year in public finance use in India, right? Like we we had major three schemes coming out. You can see it from numbers that we the fiscal deficit that India faced at that year. But at least you can see it. Like you, the government hasn't doesn't necessarily have to do the right things, but at least don't hide the data. But yeah, well. That makes sense. Okay, going back to sort of decent work where we sort of started Hmm. from, Hmm. right? We said that there was a problem of underemployment and eventually Hmm. sort of the people at the lowest rung sort of lose their jobs or go out of Hmm. the labor force, right? What are the other impacts that come from sort of... So yeah, so underemployment first was you do not utilize people at their best. Hmm. You end up leaving some of the people leave the workforce and... I think the third major problem with not attaining decent work is the factors I'd mentioned, which is uh, your social protection rights at work and all of that, which are essential in ensuring that the standard of living for an economy is at a level you would want, right? Uh, Your access to health, access to basics, lifestyle. I think, um, I don't know if you've read, there is this news report that has been doing rounds where um, women were asked to uh, remove uterus for working in certain manufacturing plants because um, it is a cost incurred when they get pregnant and a lot of that has an impact on their economy. So yeah, yeah, I read that and it and seemed like a clear bout of discrimination. Yeah, I also I read, I'm I'm not so sure, but I've read a tweet about, I think there was some uh, industrial site in Tamil Nadu which got shut and expected the employees to find job in two days. Hmm. Now something like that would not happen if you have contractual rights hmm. where you clearly state you need a notice and all of that hmm. uh, put into the place. Just that there is a cost attached to it. Hmm. And uh, as an economy, we do not uh, utilize, there is not enough laws which... I think there are enough labor laws. That's hmm. not the problem. The problem lies in the fact that a lot of it can go under the radar. Okay. You can conduct. I mean, the most sort of typical jobs that these remind me of, the first thing that comes to mind is sort of the gig economy, right? Because Hmm. a lot of the people who are part of the gig economy don't really have any sort of social insurance. They don't, uh, they are contractual jobs, but the contracts don't cover a lot of the things that you spoke about. Um, And they don't sort of provide any semblance of financial stability for the future. Hmm. So like, how does that work? So, um, I think 
the new age replacement for the jobs that were conducted earlier so there is this entire theory if you get into the job conversation is that while ai would take certain jobs it creates few others right and hmm. the maximum example you will hear of uber and swiggy and all of these apps which have uh, although they've taken away from restaurants uh, showing up to there now there are enough delivery boys around right hmm. but uh, the job of a delivery boy though it is again it is again an underemployed situation where it is a brilliant idea of yes we have a lot more people uh, employed but at what cost in the sense are those people is there a growth prospect in that job hmm. where do you go from that entire yeah where do you go what from are your contractual relations or a with, uh, with swiggy what hmm. are your contractual relations with swiggy right um a lot of the problems came into view when uber saw the entire issue of safety right you figure out okay what is uber's uh, contractual relation with the uber driver hmm. and um, a lot of these jobs are uh, low skill set jobs which are concentrating on which are mass jobs that are created but they do not uh, create any social protection in the sense right that you'll have a two month notice or some stuff like that that we have enjoyed as working in contractual labor you would have seen contractual rights I, I, yeah i mean i think the simplest example of this is when there was that um, there was this big social media blow up of that zomato delivery man who was eating someone else's mm. food like he was caught on like yeah, camera yeah, eating yeah. someone else's food and it also sort of brings you to the plight of the guy right he doesn't even sort of get a lunch break that's not even so again that that was a con- conversation about how so again like the safety this is again the conversation about what are the contractual relations between swiggy delivery person and swiggy similarly so although i think we are still trying to figure out what how are we going to work out this entire gig economy because um again using protectionism as a way to secure thing would not be the best possible manner because we are already facing the cost of that in all the other aspects give um, me an example as someone who's uh, not familiar with protectionism harming so the idea is that the firing strategy in india is the reason that people so there is some law relating to indian labor as per which um, if a company has more than 20 people hmm. in their form then they have to follow certain norms okay which is uh, the entire uh, female protection at yeah, work yeah so, so yeah uh, put in a sexual harassment, harassment committee, committee and all keep of it that toilet, yeah. just general things so right? all of those direct or indirect cost to the firm hmm. so you would see a lot of small industries not going beyond 20 Hmm. right because their incentives at going beyond 20 is to then have rights and all of that again if you increase maternity again the entire leave for maternity leave for 26 weeks i think yeah um what happens to that is hiring a woman is more expensive it's costlier, now yeah so if a woman is fine with working in 6 months hmm. a company would still say don't because then they don't know if, if the woman then charges presses charges hmm. what do you do so a lot of what that instead of hiring a woman then the person would then at the balance hire a man because okay. yeah. there are no such extra rights that come along with a man so there are negative impacts of certain policies based on protectionism i wouldn't say do away with all of them there are certain required of course but um, i think we have not worked out the incentive structures of the policies we make hmm. very well if we have not done the entire cost benefit analysis of everything that we do because some of these policies come at a huge cost so although on paper they look really good like for maternity leave looked at a very good policy if you look at it mm. on the paper but when you start to see how it plays out and there's humongous cost and then uh, if that is going to eventually lead to 
people not hiring movement that's a problem mm. uh, as opposed to certain industries which require maximum number of employees to be women in which cases they have created crash because if 51% of employees are women then you don't mind having uh, one crash because it doesn't cost that much yeah and increases productivity right exactly so it's a very tricky subject and needs a lot more detailing if you want to figure out what are the best case scenarios for female labor uh, employment and how to get more women working but if you look at the global scale i think it's a global problem where not enough women have joined the workforce and sure and it also goes back to the idea that uh, we still haven't figured out how to regulate the gig economy right we um, haven't i i don't know i'm scared if we because um, maybe it's my bias talking but i'm not so sure if the government knows how to regulate anything in the best possible manner because although government's role should just be of a regulator even then hard using making it difficult for the employer to get the work done hmm. does not work in anyone's favor because uh, the more it costly it is to become an entrepreneur or an employer the more difficult it is to create jobs in the economy right sure so, i mean like okay it, just for people who are unfamiliar with sort of like the government as a regulator the hmm. idea is that the government should serve as an umpire right you just sort of set the rules of the game and then you say follow the rules of the game yeah. what the it government should of being a player in the game yeah so air do. india don't make air india because you then have uh, a bias you will try to look at prices from not just as a regulator but also a player hmm. and again look at any sport right if the one of the players is also the empire then how is there going to be um any semblance of equality uh, yeah. yeah judgment at this point let's take a break hey krupa check out my beatboxing boots and cat and boots and cat hey and please boots stop yes all right check out my singing no i'm serious stop but why because you're genuinely bad and because you've got actual talent to showcase Presenting the ATKT Talent Time podcast, where I, Krupa, and IP Man, chat with some immensely talented college students about the fun part of college, like freshers' life, the music and poetry scene, side hustles for college students, and the not so fun, like weird dress codes, hostel deadlines, and ragging. New episodes every Tuesday on the IVM Podcast app, the IVM Podcast website, and wherever else you get your podcasts from. Hey, Krupa. Check out my poetry. Roses are red. No. Violets no, are blue. No, 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 no. You are special. Please. Welcome back to States of Anarchy. Let's get back to my conversation with Devika Kher on jobs. Okay. So, going back to jobs, what hmm. are other trends around the world? How can we see them play out? So, there is a paper by um, ILO, International Labour Organization, on World Employment Social Outlook. Okay. Um, basically, they come up with this report every year where they look at. how has employment change across the globe and what has the social impact in that they look at each region so from my little understanding because i've been looking at the india perspective more than i have looked at the globe but uh, across uh, the region i think africa is facing something similar to india where there is economic growth but countries across africa uh, countries across so they have mm. looked at uh, they've seen at uh, regions rather than each mm. country okay. at least in the beginning okay they get into the detail but then there's no point like if, if you want to do a further research this is a good document you can just go there they okay. have enough numbers to back everything they speak um so there again africa would see a labor force expansion but um economic growth would be low hmm. unlike india where i think we are looking at high economic growth but lesser employment I think a lot of the rest of the regions are facing something where um, women's employment rate is again an issue, which mm. is low across the three regions. 
the unemployment rate within Arabic countries is very low. I think the paper says that the youth unemployment rate is four times the adult rate. So there are four times uh, lesser people employed when they yeah. are. And youth basically means when they are around 15 to 18. Okay. 15 to 18 sort of age group. Uh, again, you would hear a lot of people say, oh, this is because of uh, education, which is mm. probably one of the reasons. One of the reasons can be education. Um, but so basically what happens is that we look at female labor force from 15 years of age. Okay. So when people start studying mm. um, from 15 to whatever age they are studying, they were not part of the labor force. Okay. So that can explain one of the reasons why people are not part of the labor force. Mm. But... Um, it's a very interesting example. I think uh, Namita Bandhare had it in her uh, series hmm. on female labor employment that in towns and cities in India, 68.3% hmm. of women who graduate don't have paid jobs. And then she expanded on it. This is from, by the way, a UNDP paper, okay. Women's Voices, which said that 68.3% of women who are graduates, so they've studied, don't have paid jobs. So if you're telling me that they are not there in the labor force because they're studying, they don't join it after that either. Okay. Again, reasons range from no one caring if they don't, uh, they are not given skill sets, which they expect them to join. Which the make workplace. them employable. Yeah. And also there are not enough jobs which pay women based on the skill set. They what require. do you mean? In the sense that if you are a master's graduate in a village, hmm. you will mostly end up in a household setup. Hmm. There are more chances that you'll be in a village if you're a woman because hmm. going sending you to a city is a huge cost for the sin, sure. for the household. Hmm. Uh, and not just economic cost, it is also the cost that safety is a huge issue for sure. women. And also social cost that you might always deflect from your traditional cultural values. Yeah, and yeah, of course. She'll someone. study and then she won't like the man she you find for her, right? That narrative. So educating women is seen as a social cost, not just hmm. economic cost, right? So that is uh, one of the reasons why... So in rural regions, you would not work, right? Mm. Because you would either be employed in your own household work, mm. in which, of course, you won't be paid because you are doing household work. And then you would not be paid uh, outside also because the job will be not worth a uh, graduate. Mm. Which, in case of men, doesn't work out the same way. Because, again, for men, irrespective of what their education is, they have to work. Mm. So the, if a household would be fine if a man then ends up working at an underemployment situation where they work in a place which is much less um, skill oriented. But um, with women, they are like, why are you working if you are not? If you don't need if you, to. If you, yeah, if you don't need to. Mm. And it's seen as a luxury, right? It's seen as my husband in the house earns enough for the wife to not work. And men take it uh, really personally if the woman is working. Yeah, in and the idea right? is also that... Uh, even in India, there's a mindset that you have to let women go to work, yeah. right? Exactly. Also, there is this entire thing called occupational segregation, which I find fascinating because um, the idea is that um, there are certain jobs which are called pink collar jobs, because mm. of course, which are oriented for women, right? Parlor, teaching, nurses. teaching to some extent, nurses. And... Um, the idea is that uh, they would train women to do just that. Hmm. So what happens is it's both a supply demand issue where there are only so many parlors that can be in a city. Okay. If you're going to train all the women in the village to do parlor work, there will be a lot more demand than supply. Hmm. 
So what happens when there's a lot more demand and supply is that the wages would reduce because mm. people would be ready to work at a lower price mm. point. So then uh, there are less wages, more people crowded into these situations. And because you've only trained them in that one particular task, mm. there is no job fungibility. You cannot shift jobs uh, from mm. a parlor person. You would have to train yourself again, which is mm. a cost. So you end up having a lot more women working at a very low price point. And mm. then you will tell them that you're not even earning enough. Then why are you working? Why don't you just sit at home? Right. So the story keeps on going round and round that where you want your, uh, it's called occupational segregation because the mindset is that this is a female oriented work, mm. right? Like teaching photo, mm. like, oh, because it works around with your household, do this, yeah. um, do the eight to four sort of job, mm. right? Again, why can't they just train women to be mechanics? Hmm. or certain jobs with taxi drivers. Yeah, taxi drivers. At least that's, I think Bombay has some NGOs which have started teaching women how to drive. So does Bangalore, I think. Uh, yeah, Bangalore major cities are starting with their committee does some work. Yeah, they're breaking certain norms because um, I think we should see a lot more of this in coming future because otherwise we don't know how to utilize, how to get women to work because you've limited their ability to find jobs. You've limited their ability to skill themselves. And then your idea is that, but they don't get work. Why don't they work? Okay, let me ask you something, just mm. as a devil's advocate, mm. right? Why do women need to work? If your family income is that high, mm. why do women need to go to work? How does it matter? Let them stay at home. Mm. What, what sort of moral imperative is mm. there for women to go to work? I think Melinda Gates had a good reply for this. Uh, she had a TOI interview, uh, Times of India uh, interview recently, where she says that uh, when women do not work, women do not step out of the household, they do not become part of the conversation, the broader conversation in the country. They do not uh, have a conversation about politics or about social impact that has been created, right? So you limit them to the four walls and then they do not become part of the macro narrative or macro conversation that the country is mm -hmm. having, right? Because now you've limited their say in things that affect at a macro level. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, if a woman is stopped from working, you mm -hmm. stifle her voice in a public arena. Mm -hmm. Is what my opinion is. I do not mean that all women should work that if they have taught you, you better bloody join the job. Mm -hmm. But also the idea is not just the fact that it's not that you have to educate a woman in your household to just increase the headcount in India's labor force. But also the fact that you equip them with the skill set to have larger conversations, to be involved in the decisions that are taken across the country, yeah. right? You equip them with the ability to understand what is the conversation that's happening. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying by sort of like not encouraging women to become part of the workforce. You're just cordoning them, them off to sort of the private space and like mm. dividing spaces into public and private yeah, is the it, easiest way you can sort of stifle someone, right? You would have seen it with your uh, grandparents, right? Like, I don't know, with my grandparents, right? My, my grandmother was not like one of my grandmothers was not uh, very highly educated and that had a severe impact on her confidence on anything. So whatever her husband told, she thought is the word of wisdom and that's the truth. Right. Because she was like, he knows more because he stepped out and I did not. So whatever he says is right. If But I don't think someone can do that to me. I have enough education to counter most of the points. Yeah, and and I think it's also about financial independence. Right. I mean, a lot of the women in earlier generations simply could not walk out of relationships or take decisions pertaining to yes, their own lives and their own bodies simply yes. because they didn't have financial also, respect independence. respect in a household. Right. Once you're an earning member, you get to have more say in your household conversations. Right. Mm. 
the fact of the matter is unless you don't earn you are a dependent hmm. and a dependent has limited rights hmm. in any household setup a household is a mini economy at the end of the day hmm. so the person who earns has say on most of the expenditures in most households right there are social infrastructure in place where the norms are such that the son would give money to parents and there are certain such setups but the long and short of it is that the person who earns mostly has the say on how the money is spent or used and the little bit even the ability to earn or not just not earning the ability to earn or if i have hmm. the confidence that i can step out of this relationship hmm. and still get the money i need hmm. that is what is important because that gives you the sort of freedom in a relation in any relationship not just with your partner but with anyone in the household to define to call the shots we have stayed very far from <laughs> true <global> economy <laughs> but this no, is the topic okay. i keep so what can we do what can we do to sort of create more jobs for women what can we do to create more jobs for everybody across the world i think first and foremost so there is this narrative in india okay so in india unemployment again mahesh vyas from cmi had mentioned this in a recent interview which i completely agree with that uh, so someone asked him why is underemployment not leading to you know riots and like france saw right like hmm. there are not enough jobs why aren't people on the streets it's like one is underemployment as i was talking about hmm. so people might not be un- like unemployed but they are not being utilized for the jobs that hmm. they can be used the other is the fact that we look at education as the panacea for all of this so reservation gets all the anger that lack of jobs does not so hmm. if you are a 21 year old and you can't find a job in your head it's because you couldn't get to that best university possible and uh, that other person got and then you remove all your anger on reservation i have this is not a conversation on reservation my take on reservation is not not discussed here but my saying reservation is, gets the bad yeah, rap when this when education should have. have not been employable anyway yeah like in the sense most of our universities do not produce people with employable who, who employer who can be employed at a higher skill set level right we have too many private institutions who do not provide the level of education or the type of exposure that would equip you for a job that you want to mm-hmm. join right um, and on the other hand i understand the frustration because that person has spent not just money but two years of their life doing that degree which was supposed to get them a higher job they wouldn't mm-hmm. have done it right they would have just gone for the job they were going in the first place but it but again look at it the other way right like now a clerical job requires a phd hmm. because a phd guy is applying for the job how are you going to compete with a phd guy without a phd so yeah. what does that do to the quality of the phd what does do that do to this person who is not spending even if it's not spending in terms of money even if you don't have to pay bribe someone to get a job you are still paying it to some university to get that extra degree to do that job that should be done by a ba Yeah, it's an opportunity cost. It's right? an opportunity cost in all forms. Yeah. Hmm. So then, and this plays yeah. out politically. One is in terms of reservations, but two also. I remember reading that one of the reasons people were sort of voting in more populist countries for populist leaders was simply because um, underemployment gives you a very insecure lifestyle. You don't know when the paycheck is coming. You don't have access to as many perks in a sense as you once did. My father and I were talking about this and he said, you know, you're earning exactly what I earned in the 1980s. And and I said, yeah, but you bought a house with what you earned, right? <laughs> I can barely pay rent with what I'm earning. Yeah, like by 2009, I think we saw the 9% growth, hmm. which is unimaginable. 
as of today two things to see a 9% growth is basically the amount of salary increase that our parents saw at that time we would not see when we started at a higher point their mm. argument would be we started at a very low point mm. but the, the the growth they saw in the 10 years between 94 to 2004 I don't think we are going to be that lucky. <laughs> At least as long as we don't have the data we can't say anything but I'm sure the data will agree with this point. Okay. So solutions what can again, you Again solutions do? yes. So one is again so although reservation gets a bad rep and I personally think that we need to improve our education system multifold. Hmm. Like uh, first of all right from schooling uh, we have to create skill sets which can be used in the job market. So first of all that has to be revamped. Once that happens then even our higher education we do not need a college at every nook and corner but we need good institutions that have credibility hmm. when it comes to giving their certificates or their degrees right a graduate degree should mean something. Hmm. Um so the level or the quality of educations which again goes back to how are your teacher training centers if your teachers are trained at a very substandard level what are they going to teach the students so sure. i think the core of the problem is we really need to rework on who becomes a teacher in the future their salaries are dismal right like increase salaries we need them to be really good for the future uh, sure and then it goes jobs. into curriculum and the idea that we are still learning about cold war and nothing past it yeah in- right like and also how are you supposed to undo those like you spend 12 to 15 whatever if you are a doctor you're spending like 20 years education wise on just gaining expertise right mm-hmm. after that if doesn't have the returns imagine mm-hmm. the amount of investment you've put into it mm-hmm. so it's a huge cost and we really have to rework the education system to catch up for the date uh then again i think um the other issue currently is um investment in the country right okay. like we require um I think banks were giving bad loans mm-hmm. which we have seen in the recent time and therefore they become much more vigilant now different podcast by itself <laughs> yes <laughs> but uh, I think the long and short of it is that banks should uh, credit accessibility is an important aspect what does that uh, mean because so how easily can people access um, money to start their own ventures mm-hmm. now the idea is not to create bad debts mm-hmm. it's not an argument to give money more money to king fisher but the idea is that if i can start a project and if it fails i can leave that entire set so bankruptcy law worked right mm-hmm. so other other ways if there are cheaper loans mm-hmm. i'll take the loan if i'm un- unable to repay you can have conditions where uh, i need to start repaying very early and therefore you can cover up for uh, the fact that it might turn into a non performing asset but before that you still have to have access to credit in rural or in regions where it otherwise would be difficult hmm. to find right so basically sort of create an environment where yeah. innovations encouraged yes exactly so a lot of um entrepreneurship currently in india is relied on family businesses and mm. which is counted in informal sector uh, and um, a lot of that leads to the ability that a person who does not come from a family of uh, entrepreneurs yeah mm. businessmen ends up being uh, in a professional job where you mm. do whatever you needed also there is this um involuntary entrepreneurship if you've heard which is basically you become you a businessman you don't want to man. become an entrepreneur yeah you but you have to do it because how else are you going to earn there are no jobs mm. so that form of uh, you don't want those entrepreneurs they are not good entrepreneurs they are not doing it because they have an entire it's a very complicated task to become an entrepreneur and it's brilliant because you create jobs you create wealth and you create value in the society but it cannot be done by anyone and everyone so if you're forcing people into it that has a cost in itself too mm. right so 
I think investment is a major factor that we really need to work out on how to create less bad debts, but also how to improve credit accessibility. Hmm. Just need to learn that. Uh, also, like one of my pet solutions, I love this solution because uh, before I started talking about jobs, I was writing about urban uh, governance. I really think India is not as um, urbanized as it needs to be, which is, is a, it's not just my thought. I think it's most of everyone's thought. India will get much more urbanized because we can't run away from it. Sure. Urbanization is um, a natural process. It's right? a natural process. And uh, with the population size that we have, we will see a lot of regions uh, have looking at economic growth at a level where mm. they will become urbanized. A mm. lot more people, the population size would increase. Mm. So it will be better if we plan ahead rather than wait for a certain city to become unmanageable and then be like, I don't know what can a corporation do, which is what has been our way of dealing with things until today. Um, so I personally think we should create more cities. Okay. This is something that we had worked in Takshashila also hmm. uh, on the idea that uh, if you create more cities, you'll be creating more jobs hmm. per city because each city requires its own set of uh, jobs at all levels, right? Right from a hotel to a pan shop to uh, barber shop, whatever. Mm. So there are a lot of jobs that each city in itself creates. So how do you create a new city? I think somewhere we went right when we came up with the idea of 100 smart cities. Mm. So it's a mixture of greenfield cities, which is barren land where you start making infrastructure and then expect people to show up. Okay. Or uh, current tier two cities where you start creating better ways of molding it so that you mm. can attract more crowds. Yeah, like better infrastructure, improve yeah. the facilities like, that already exist. I think Washi is a good example of how we created another city very mm. close to an existing city. It generally works if it's closer to another city because um, the the city, the new city gains from the externality of that current city, right? Like there mm. is enough infrastructure and enough people in place. This just reduces the burden. But how many jobs can this sort of create? Like, you know, creating a new city. So I think if you look at just medical hubs, so the idea is that um, around uh, a medical hub is basically a city which is oriented based on medical profession, right? Like sure. medical tourism is a thing in India, yeah, right? Yeah, like places um, like Manipal or Chennai, for example, get a lot of medical tourists. Yes. So if you, so Manipal is a very good example. I think mm. Manipal is something that we can replicate in mm. many ways, right? Because it's a city which was based on a college mm. and a hospital and it has created an entire economy around itself based on just that. So the idea of how do we create new cities, that's how we create new cities. Mm. We take a town and then we build on it. But um, just to give you a, a number for medical tourism, um, medical tourism industry in India has the potential to generate 8 billion by 2020 and create 40 million new jobs uh, as per a, a government website, which did a detailed analysis of medical tourism in India. It is a humongous sector. You can create a lot more jobs. Just the fact of the jobs that nurses and because it's, it's also a sort of job that requires a lot of lower skill set. You mm. don't need as many doctors as you need nurses and mm. uh, lab boys and a lot of those terms. Um, but I think that is just one. You can also have university cities. We do not have that culture. US has a lot of university cities, right? The entire city is based because there was one. So university mm. made. Um, Jamshedpur is a good example of an industrial city mm. where you make one big industry and then. So those will create jobs. We haven't utilized the entire two towns in the best possible manner as of today. Hmm. Okay. Let's hope 
that more jobs get created that we get employed i know speaking of all of this while i'm unemployed is fun uh but this is how the labor female labor force participation rate is reducing i quit the job i was doing but yeah uh here's my last question to you if someone wants to read more about sort of female labor force employment about how jobs are around the world um about using cities to create new jobs what resources would you recommend so first of all i think for your primary research just the world bank and uh, international labor organizations have come up with various reports so if you're looking at global uh, scenario for jobs you can just look at ilo the document i was talking about the world mm-hmm. social employment outlook or for un has done i think the maximum amount of work on uh, female labor employment mm-hmm. in india uh, with the women voices report and uh, the one was due it was something with the respect to women um, i'll come up with the name but if you just search um, women employment india and un you will get uh, something with i can't remember the name women due drop it's okay i'll link it later yeah you can yeah. link it to the thing so there are a bunch of uh, stuff there so dr radhika kapoor wrote a paper in ikrer uh, which was uh, called waiting for jobs i think she gives you the magnitude of the problem and a good background into it especially in the india context and uh, world bank has a paper called precarious drop the one i was talking about mm-hmm. it reassesses the patterns of female labor force in india participation rate in india so these are good places to start there is an entire nine part series on women in the workforce in india by namita bandare if you want to see a broader idea of jobs mahesh vyas from um, cmia has been writing and talking about it a lot there were a lot of reports on their website so there are enough of these places if you want to start getting a background of the picture books as such there are a few books uh, in the open you can start reading them but all of them come with a like a huge like biases from each ends where one would say there are a lot of jobs are created the others there aren't enough so a lot of papers have that say so it's a good idea to keep an open mind when you're reading these numbers because currently in india i think the job creation rate has ranged between 4 million jobs to 18 million jobs as per our analysts across the board okay. and that's so a that's stark huge. difference yeah there's a stark difference so there is enough debate in itself which is again something you can follow if you like policy gossip uh, <laughs> but yeah that's okay thanks so much devika thank you for this podcast okay so that's it for this episode of states of anarchy If you're interested in reading more about the job crisis then I have some resources for you in the episode description. If you have any comments or questions then do reach out to me at the rate states of anarchy on Instagram or at the rate hamsini h on Twitter. You can listen to states of anarchy on the IVM podcast app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you haven't subscribed already just click on the button and before you know it we'll be back next week. India's a massive subcontinent home to truly stunning diversity. Behind the veils of smoke that obscure our thriving cities, our history is still alive, glimmering like sequins waiting to be discovered. And if you, like me, are straining to hear the echoes of our past, this podcast is for you. I'm Anirudh Kanisetti, a history and geopolitics researcher, and I host Echoes of India. a history podcast about india by indians and for indians in echoes we journey through the complex histories of south asia and what they can teach us about our globalized world 
Tune in every Wednesday on ivmpodcast.com or your favorite podcast app. Hi, I'm Vishal Gondal, an entrepreneur. I've had the chance to meet and understand how some of the super achievers have hacked their way to success and they have done spectacular innovations. Now I take a closer look at these people's lives to find out what lies beneath the force only on the Vishal Gondal show. Episodes out fortnightly on Wednesdays on the IVM website, app or your favorite podcasting platform.